Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. In this episode, let's dive into a conversation with Glenn Gadet, the founder and CEO of Gagalamp. His company helps organizations amplify their social presence by focusing on employee engagement. He's also the host of a weekly podcast called Amp Up Your Digital Marketing. Listen to Glenn talk about how you can align your employee advocacy program with your digital marketing strategy for best results. Well, Glenn, hey, once again, Shane Barker here. So, so, so happy that we're having you on the podcast today. Like I said, about six months ago, I was on your podcast. Um, awesome time. And so now we get to be able to give back and then let everybody know about what you got going on. So as we always start off the podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit like, where did you grow up? I know you're, you're currently in Boston area, correct? Right. Yeah. I started in the Boston area. I actually, I grew up in a suburb just outside of Boston up until sixth grade. And then mm-hmm. my family moved to Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, I heard of that place. Yeah. And it was pretty interesting because, of course, I didn't know I had a Boston accent until I moved out of Boston. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So then I I really learned that people do have accents because when I went out there, not only apparently did I have an accent that everybody wanted to hear – but I heard other people's accents, which was really interesting. Especially um, in the Vegas area, right? I mean, that's like a melting pot really for vacation is. people from all over the world, right? Yeah. So I know you, I walk in Vegas and you're hearing French and Italian and this and that. It's just kind of interesting. Well, and when you go to school out there too, you've got this amalgamation of people who very few people that you talk to are from Vegas originally, even more so now because there's been so much growth in Vegas. Back then, at yeah. least, that there were some people who you know, we're there for a generation or two, but you don't see that much anymore. But that being said, it was a really interesting place to be. And and I was there for sixth grade and junior high. And then we moved back to Massachusetts. That really opened up a lot for me as a kid who, you know, just grew up in the Boston area. Again, just being able to meet different people from different parts of the world. And it was pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, And why did you guys move to Vegas? My dad was actually an iron worker and he ended up having a back injury and that was pretty painful for him. And we moved to Las Vegas because it was a lot drier and Uh. humidity really had an impact on my dad's back. And so we moved to Las Vegas, but then ultimately I think my mom's desire to be closer to family kind of brought us back to the East Coast. Yeah, that makes sense. So how big is your family? Well, in terms of the immediate family, I have an older sister. And um, mm-hmm. both my mom and dad have passed, but it was it was the core unit of four of us. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so what about any interesting facts that you're like with growing up and was there anything that you're like, a lot of people didn't know this or didn't know that, you know, I had a brother and he ended up missing in Vegas or not that he did. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying that happened. I mean, you know, because I'm not judging because you're in Vegas and that's where the mob was located for a long period of time. But I'm just saying, like, is there any any fun facts like that? Anything fun? Not that your brother, you know, that maybe he's missing, but anything fun like that that we, we need to know that the audience know about? Well, my dad's dad, my grandfather, he was uh, badge number one in Malden, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Wow. So he was on the force long enough where your badge number indicated your seniority. It was really interesting. So my grandfather, there's a story of my grandfather. My grandfather actually fired his weapon once in his entire career. Really? Yeah. So this was in Malden and apparently somebody had robbed the bank. 
And my grandfather was on foot and he was chasing this guy down an alley and he took out the weapon and he fired once and the guy stopped. So he didn't actually shoot the guy. I'm not sure if he shot it in the air or shot it in the ground. Um, yeah. Either one of them, you, you start to wonder, it where did the impact. bullet go? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. whoever it was, the, the culprit stopped and my grandfather was able to arrest him and, uh, and secure the money. So that is awesome. That's like, yeah. See, that's the kind of stories that I'm talking about. Like, yeah. You never know what people are going to say. That's kind of awesome. So he was number one. Yeah. Yeah. Badge number one. What? That's it. Badge number one and one shot. And that's he got it. The whole place to stop and got the money back. I yeah. mean, that's literally, literally the good guy. Yeah. I, you know, and I often wonder, like, because uh, if you think about at least what you see in the media so much now about police and riots and, you know, the yeah. SWAT folks coming in and everything, what the, it'd be interesting to know how many times does the average police officer actually fire their weapon these days? Yeah. Well, I mean, back then, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. It's, you know, not to get into the politics of that, but I, and I just would never, being a police officer these days would be a challenge. I mean, it just, you know, just everything, not to get into the political side of that, but just, man, it's just such a hard, hard career, you know, such a hard, hard thing. You're here to protect the public and there's just a lot of moving pieces to it. We're not all trained and ready for that situation when it happens and whether that's good or bad and, you know, it it affects lives and it's just crazy deal. Not that, like I said, not that we need to go down that path because that's probably a whole nother podcast, but did you actually go to school in Vegas or did you go to school in Boston when you went to, did you go to college? So college, I went in, my undergrad was at Babson College and that's in Massachusetts. Yeah. But I did, I, during my school years, um, so I did uh, first part of sixth grade, kindergarten through the first part of sixth grade in Malden, which is Mm -hmm. where my grandfather was a police officer. And I did, let's see, we did junior high and part of sixth grade in Las Vegas. And then ended up moving back to Massachusetts. And I, I spent uh, my high school years back in Massachusetts. Ah, nice, nice. Closer to family and everything. And then you, and then Babson was obviously there in Boston. Boston is like a ton of colleges. I always think I've talked about this as the past guest. Yeah. Like, they're like the amount of colleges per square foot is like, there's like a, a university every three inches or something. It's like, they're like, live not that. There's not a lot. That, but there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. I remember I went out there for a tour and I was like, they're like, they're, they told me the facts. And I was like, God, that's crazy on how many universities are out there. I went to grad school and I went to grad school down in uh, Johns Hopkins, which is down in the awesome. uh, Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area. It's yeah. So I was, it's funny. I was at a speaking event out there and that's, I was right next to the, I was right next to the one of the John Hopkins out there. It was off. I can't remember where it was at in, yep. in uh, Baltimore, but that's awesome. So cool. And then what did you get your degree in? So my undergrad was in business. Basically everybody that went to BAPS and you got a BS in business management, right? Nice. And yeah, so yeah. I went to grad school for information and telecommunication system. So I can tell you how the phone system works, and <laughs> but Isn't it that funny? changed since I graduated. So it's crazy. I, I've, I've said this step before, and I'm like, I use it like, oh, test where you graduate and all this kind of fun stuff. And I'm like, I use, I think, 1% of what I learned. Like everything that I've learned, you know, I mean, obviously employee advocacy wasn't, you know, something that was available and nobody knew about it. I mean, it wasn't even on the radar, right? So we look at this kind of thing and, and that's why I'm kind of intrigued about it. Like, I'm like, how did you like, what was your first job out of college? I mean, obviously you were looking at, you were more probably yeah. on the, the, the telecommunication side of things. And this was, you don't need to tell us when you graduated, but I'm assuming it's probably right around the time I graduated. Probably not any time recently, <laughs> um, right? A little few, few <laughs> years ago, give or take 10 or 15 or whatever the number is, 20, I, you know, hey, There's but like, what was your, years. your seasons? 
That's good. Yeah, no, no, I've, I've been around the block uh, many times at this point. But what really intrigued me when I when I graduated from undergrad, so I didn't go directly into grad school, but I graduated from undergrad at Babson. And I knew I wanted to travel a little bit because I had had some experience traveling a little bit in high school and also my, my time in Las Vegas. And I like, you know, I can't imagine just being behind a desk and not getting out and seeing the world. Yeah. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could find a job where somebody paid me to actually get on a plane and travel somewhere? So I ended up finding a position at a company called World Expo, which was a division of IDG. I don't know if you remember International Data Group. That sounds really familiar to me. Yeah, they were the publisher of Computer World, PC World, a lot of tech pubs. And World Expo was the trade show group. And so they produced a lot of high-tech trade shows. I think I remember, now this is a long time ago. I think Mm -hmm. I remember a buddy of mine's (laughs) dad like was a chef something. It was like, it was in Toronto. I want to say it was Toronto or Vancouver. There was one. And I think they had a lot of them. There was kind of a number one in different cities. All over the world. And so I went in there and my, so my first job out of school was producing conferences and trade shows which was really wild to do, frankly, as a, as a young kid at, you know, 21 years old and producing multi-million dollar events, which was really exciting. So I cut my teeth doing that. That is awesome. Cause I think so funny is, you don't. I mean, back then there probably wasn't tons of events, right? I mean, that was kind of an, an anomaly in regards to doing events. I mean, now obviously there's more events and more people doing them, but I think having that as a background, probably not knowing that that was, that's pretty awesome. Do you guys do events now? Like, I mean, obviously we'll kind of get into that with, with gag lamp. I'm sure you, I mean, you have that yeah, background. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's pretty natural for me doing in-person events, but you'd be surprised even back then that there were a lot of events. I think we oh. were I mean, we focused just in the high tech sector. So we were doing events for telecommunications. They also owned Macworld. And so there was a, you know, Huge. but if you go beyond that, almost every trade industry had some sort of an event. Uh, so yeah. If you can think of a of an industry, there's probably some trade association and that trade association probably has some event. Has an, yeah, Plus that makes there sense. Were huge events. I don't know if you recall Comdex. I do. That does sound familiar. So Comdex, they, they were the precursor. They were the big Vegas event. Back then, it was the largest computer event in the world, and they did it in Las Vegas. And that was something that might have heard the name Shelley Adelson. Yeah, for sure. From politics now, because he's a big donor in politics and everything. Well, yeah. he got his start where he made his money initially was in this event called Comdex. He created this event uh, and, gotcha. and it was making so much money. He actually ended up buying one of the hotels that the event was in, which was the Sands. Jeez, that's and crazy. There's this whole history around. It's, it's a really fascinating world of events. Anyway. Yeah. So how did this all transition to what you got today with Gaglam? I'm, I'm always interested to see like the history and how that, because it's the transitions are always like this happened and this happened. And then I didn't know this was going to happen. And then I did this. And then all of a sudden now here I am today. Right. I'd love to hear your story. Well, that might take a while, but I'll try to abbreviate <laughs> as much as I can. So after the, the, the events industry, I was really intrigued by the high tech vendors that were at our shows. And I was really interested in the technology. And so that led me down the path to get into not doing events anymore, but doing marketing for software, 
right? For the cool stuff that yeah, you found. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really, it was, it was interesting. It's still interesting to me today, obviously. But the path from there was basically a series of different jobs, different positions in business development and marketing, where the kind of the culmination of the marketing experience for me was being a chief marketing officer. And what led me to where I am now was a job interview in which I was going for another CMO position. And we were talking, this was, this was nine years ago. It was nine years ago, almost um, as of last month. And I was talking to somebody about uh, coming on as their CMO. And I was in the, literally the CEO's corner office and we were talking about social media. He was, and he asked me, so what do we do about social media? And here's a company that really had no presence at all. And they were competing against another company you might have heard of, Cisco, right? Yeah. Technology company, right? Smaller company. Yeah, yeah smaller company. But even back then, they were the 800-pound gorilla in digital marketing in their space. So mm. here's a company that was kind of starting from scratch. And I said, well, how could we get you to rise above the noise? And I, I asked him, you know, how many employees do you have here? And he goes, well, we got about 1,000. I said, well, what if we got these 1,000 employees to actually help us be part of the digital marketing, maybe share some messages and get engaged. And he said, well, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a good idea. So I thought it was a good idea. I just really kind of came up with it in the moment. And then that night I, I went home and tried to find the product that I might use to do this. <laughs> right. Okay. We got the idea. Now I got to open the software. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there, there was no product. So I had a decision to make. So I didn't think it was rocket science. To, like, like I had come up with this idea that nobody else had ever, but apparently nobody actually built a product for this. Mm. So instead of taking the job, I started the company. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's how I started Gagalamp. Such a good idea that I didn't take the job. <laughs> yeah. That is too funny. Well, you know, it's so funny because it's in what you're saying, it's so simplistic, right? Because if you think about it, you kind of like, there's got to be somebody out there that's already like right. talked about this or done this. And this is nine years ago. So this yeah. is, this is early on, but really, and even now I think there's huge issues, but there's, there's still a lot of education that needs to happen when it comes to employee advocacy, right? I think a lot of companies right. are still really scared of like, mm-hmm. what does this mean? And how do we do it? And how do we do it correctly? And what happens if, you know, Johnny goes off and says something crazy, like, like, how do you work that through? But I think the amazing part is that you're talking to somebody, you're applying for this position. You're like, listen, you have a theory of a thousand advocates, people that are for the company, right? That are working for the company. That that's a huge voice. Like if right. you guys start talking about what you have, you know, things that are going on, whether I just think there's some huge, huge value in that. And I think once again, I think even nine years ago was like, that's way before the time. Even today, I think people, there's still a disconnect. And so I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about that. Really. I want to talk sure. about the premise of, of what you guys have at, at Gaglam, what you guys have built in the last nine years, and then talk a little bit about employee advocacy advocacy and how you do it in the right way and kind of some of the, the pitfalls of it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because we've learned a lot over these nine years. And I bet. look, we've seen what works and what doesn't. And so we've been able to not only build that into our technology, but also that's within the realm of our customer success group to offer our clients best practices. You know, yeah. here's some stuff to avoid. Here's some stuff to do because it's, you know, at the end of the day, and I think you've seen this a lot is a lot of companies will go out there and think that the technology itself solves the problem. And it, it never is. It's about the implementation of the technology, right? So yeah. don't expect any piece of software, you just throw the switch and you're done. No, there's a program that goes along with this. There's an approach, there's a strategy that you need to employ. And if so, you don't understand that, you it doesn't matter what you buy. 
Right. So you have to put in work. Hold on. I got to, I'm going to write yeah. this down. So you're telling me, <laughs> so you're telling me that you don't just buy the software and it does everything for this is okay. This is, I thank God I'm sitting down. You know, it's funny because, and I'm being facetious only in the sense that a lot of people believe that, right? They think that it's like, it's like they're like, just cause you went and bought the treadmill doesn't mean you're going to lose weight. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. just right. I mean, it really comes down to implementation and, and there's going to be some work that goes into that. The software is the, the vehicle that's going to help you get things going, right? That keeps things going and kind of keeps a pulse on what's going on, but you have to do the work. And I think that's what's interesting is that, and it usually takes a lot of work, right? Anything that's that's worth doing usually takes a lot of work. So, you know, it's a seven second ab. You don't go by the three second ab. That's not going to get your abs any, any faster. You still have to do the work, right? Yeah. But I think that's what you're touching on. I, no, totally. It's one of those things, particularly with this, right? Anybody who thinks that you just buy a piece of technology, whatever it is, hardware, software, it really doesn't matter. And it's set yeah. it and forget it. I would focus on the forget it part because you're not going to achieve much. Yeah. Right. You really, it should be the technology should conform to what your KPIs and your strategy is not the other way around. I think too many people turn around and look at any kind of a technology purchase and just say, well, this is going to solve my problem and I'm going to use the out of the box approach. And that just very rarely works because every company's different. Yeah. That's right. the thing is, and that's the thing, every strategy is different, right? You have, I mean, right. there's so many variables that go into that, right? It's not a, I mean, if not, we would just produce software and it work for 10,000 companies and nobody has to worry about anything else, right? I and mean, the idea is that it's, it's customized in the sense that software is there, you know, once again, you have a, a baseline of out of the box of what you can use, but then also can be customized for your company, right? It's not going to usually work for every company the same way. That's the whole point of software is that it's, it should be customizable and features and stuff are added to the software built up. So now you have, this is going to work for 80% of the companies and these are the different features and things that we can put into this to make it so that it works for your company. Right. And so to me, one of the things that I learned early on in the creation of the company was people are going to need help. So we can build the most amazing software and we have pretty awesome software. People need help. Our software is super easy to use. But that doesn't mean they understand the strategy behind it. It doesn't mean that they really understand what an employee advocacy program is. Yeah. And so that's where our customer success team comes in because we work with people. We put a lot of effort into working with people and helping them understand what are the best practices and let's help you build a program. Yes, you're using our software, but let's help you build a program that's going to generate the results that you're looking for. And it's sustainable, right? I mean, I think that's, that's right. the key is that the onboarding, and I think a lot of software companies when they first start off, it's like not realize like how important that onboarding process is, right? Because you think that it's really easy to use your software. Everybody thinks that, right? right. Maybe it is, but you don't know where these people are coming from. Like what, you know, how good they are when it comes to the internet or software or their team or anything like that. And so that onboarding, that handholding, that white glove or whatever you want to call it is so important in that process. Because now if somebody gets to the point where like, you want to get them to the point where they can't live without your software, right? And it usually takes a while for them to really understand how to use it and then to get it implemented and then get the team to use it and then really start to see some some fruit from the labor, right? And I think right. that takes a while. And so, but once that happens, once you have that aha moment, they're not going to leave the software, right? Now you're off and they're, they're going to continue to have, they're going to have minimal questions, but is that training in the beginning? I think that that's just so important. Well, it's not only training for the individual users who are going to be doing it, right? That your rank and file employees, it's also training for the marketing folks who are putting this all together. And one of the things that we really want people to understand from the get-go 
is that the employee advocacy program that you plan for day one is going to be different in day 30. It's going to be different in day 60. It's going to be different six months. It's going to be different in a year. And the reason why is your employee advocacy program is going to evolve because you're going to be getting feedback, not only from the technology, but also from the users themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to help you adjust and tweak your program. What do I do more of? What do I do less of? What should I be trying and testing out, et cetera? Yeah. And you should be excited about that, right? I mean, even though people don't like change, but I mean, it is important to be able to go and be able to understand what people are saying and be able to put that in there and then be able to make those changes, right? I mean, they say the only constant is change, right? So I think that's important. If you're not listening to that, then none of that's going to work for you anyways, right? If you're not willing to come in and say, listen, we understand that things are going to change. I'm okay with that, right? And that's the whole part of that process of learning. If you're not learning and evolving, then what are you doing, right? Right. You're saying stagnant. Exactly. So when we talk about employee advocacy, like give me a definition, like what do you define? is employee advocacy. Uh, yeah, it's, I know, it's a right? really good question, right? So it almost depends on from where you're coming to it, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times an HR person might think of employee advocacy as one thing, a marketing person might think it is something else, right? And gotcha. so if you break it down, let's talk about advocacy. What does mm-hmm. advocacy mean? You're advocating yeah. on behalf of somebody or something. And so employee advocacy is we're just looking for the employees to help advocate for the company in this case. Yeah. And the way to do that, certainly there's word of mouth and that's going to happen naturally. What isn't as natural is how your employees might advocate for you digitally. And so being able to equip them with the right kinds of things that they should be doing digitally to advocate in the company is really what employee advocacy should be about. Gotcha. So that would be almost like, I guess, kind of educating them on how to put content out, right? And, and kind of what types of content to put out and, and kind of showing examples. Is that what you're talking about? Kind of, I mean, it's an education side of that, right? Of like, absolutely hey, absolutely like, is, right? Okay. And yeah, so yeah. It, uh, I'll give you an example. So I think what a lot of people think about in terms of, well, let me get a couple thousand employees to retweet something. Okay, well, that's great. That's fine. <laughs> and to some degree that, you know, that's certainly an option you can do. But there's also things like on our platform, you can ask your employees, to answer a question. And the answer to the question becomes the tweet. Mm. So what you do is you empower your employees with an authentic voice, but you're giving them some guardrails. You might bake in a hashtag so they don't have to figure out what the hashtag is. You might even bake in an image, but the unique language that they provide is truly theirs, right? So now all of a sudden you actually get authentic conversations to start taking place there. And what does that do? That, That fuels engagement. And what does engagement lead to? Engagement leads to relationships. So if your employees are having more relationships with your target market, with your customers, that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, we talk about this. What do you think the biggest, for, like you know, when you're a big company, I always think, you know, people always think, oh, but what happens again? What happens if Johnny goes off the rails and says something crazy? Like, and I know that doesn't happen a lot. And of course, the only, you know, only time we read about it is when something crazy does happen. I mean, obviously when you have software, I mean, you, and I think you kind of talked about it, you guys have kind of guardrails, right? You have certain things you're like, hey, this is kind of what we talk about. And what is that system for? I mean, how does the software protect against anything like that? Well, let me ask you this. Are you going to stop Johnny from going off the rails if you don't have software? No. 
Yes. Right. Yeah. So you right. gotta get rid of Johnny. Johnny's a problem. We have to get rid of Johnny. I, that's I, that's all you had to say. I'm gonna fire Johnny today. I was waiting for the green light. I thought I keep bringing up Johnny, and I'm like, now we're just getting Johnny. If you're hearing this, you're fired today, my friend. Sorry. Uh, no, that makes sense. Makes total sense. Yeah, but I mean, you software's think, not going to save that. Look, at the end of the day, particularly if you're talking the social networks, like you know, it's Johnny's Twitter account, it's Johnny's LinkedIn account, it's Johnny's Facebook, you know, whatever social network they're on, it doesn't belong to the company, it belongs to Johnny. So whether you're making quality suggestions to Johnny or not, Johnny can do whatever the heck Johnny wants. Gotcha. Makes sense. Right? And so the idea of, well, if we give them positive things to do, that may actually incent them to do something negative, I think is the wrong way to look at this. Yeah. I think instead you should look at if we give them no guardrails at all, the incidents of people going off the reservation, if you will, are probably more likely to happen because they don't know the positive stuff they can do. Gotcha. So it's like giving the examples, it's letting them, I mean, really it's educating because some people don't know what to put, right? That's really, I think the biggest thing is like, what do I put out there? Like, I don't know what to do. Like I remember when I first joined Twitter, which is, I don't know how many years ago, but then I remember thinking like, what am I going to say? Like, we're like, oh, right. hey, I'm using hey, the restroom. This is right. awesome. Like nobody cares. Like, I'm in the kitchen. <laughs> I'm making a sandwich. You're like, ooh, Shane's making a sandwich. Like nobody cares about that. I, you know, and I, now, of course, I know because I've been doing it for so long. But I remember in the beginning, it was very like, because I told my brother, I remember I had the conversation with my brother I, and he was in San Francisco. And I said, hey, you're using Twitter. Like, what do you use it for? Because I don't really like, I don't, you know, nobody cares what I'm doing. I don't think like, or one I like, you know, I've got like one follower. It's like, mom, like, I'll just call her and tell her what I'm doing. I, I don't. You know, I don't really know. And then my brother was like, well, I use it because he was in production. And he's like, well, I, you know, use it so I can, I put some stuff out there and some of my past clients will see it. They'll be reminded of the work that I do. And there's just a lot of positive things. And after I learned from that, now that was, mind you, because I talked to my brother and there's some education there that happened. And then after that, I was like, okay, this makes sense. I'm just going to kind of, you know, talk about some marketing things and things that I've got going on with my clients. And you know, not always about me, but I just, it helped put a strategy together after that. But I, there was that initial push of like, I don't know if I really want to do this Twitter thing or who cares. And, <laughs> right. right. And then now it's like, now it's a, a main platform for me and I have a good audience and we built that up and things are good there. But you know, it's that first step, I think is always that the hard part. So if you think of it from this perspective, if you're working at a company, chances are at this point, you know, your company probably has some sort of a social media policy, right? It might be a paragraph in the handbook or it might be a multi-page <laughs> thing, depending on what it is. If you're a marketing person listening to this podcast, what I would do is I would go to that social media policy and look at it. And, you know, eight times out of 10, you're going to see that it's going to be, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Rather than- can do. Here's some examples of what would be good for you to do. Yeah. So it's all about the negative versus, again, giving them some positive things that they can do. And by the way, giving them things that they can do is really hard to do in one paragraph. It's really hard to do in a couple of pages. And so that's the value of using a a solution like Gagalamp is because you're able to give them packaged opportunities to do things on a regular basis. 
Yeah, I think that's there's such a key. It's you know, it's funny when the policies that you say, whether it's a paragraph or a few pages, it is about what not to do, right? Instead right. of talking about what to do, what, what you can do, right? Like, let's empower them. Let's educate them and empower them. And I think that's the hardest part is like, well, we just tell them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Okay, that's awesome. But then if you really want me to do something, it becomes scary, right? Like, now right. I don't want to try it because I'm scared I'm not going to write the right thing. If you give me an example, then I can maybe curate something. Or if there's something that's already kind of put together, I can customize a little bit, great that makes sense, right? We try to take the, the guessing work out of it so that you're not sending something out and go, man, I sure hope HR is okay with this, right? I mean, I don't know if this is going to be approved or not. Well, great. If you're putting it out there and you have some, at least some guidelines, I think that's the key to this whole thing. It's less about, I think that was kind of an aha moment for me, like less about what you can do and, and more about what you can do. Well, it's also, if you think about the evolution of this over the years, you know, when we started, a lot of companies were still putting their heads in the sand and they were saying like, no, um, our policy is don't say anything. Don't do anything. There's three people in the company that can actually talk to the outside world about the company. Right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, think about that, right? There is, there's people with press credentials and you know, the only people who could talk to anyone would be this. Well, Hey, the world's a different place now. Everybody's talking to everybody. So you yeah. can either accept that and empower it, or you can keep your head buried in the sand and let your competition basically have all of those conversations and engagements. Yeah. And I think that's the key thing is like, yeah, maybe if your organization doesn't change, then your competitor is going to, right? I mean, you have to. It's like it's evolving times, has. right? Yeah. I mean, with platforms and everything else, it's like, you know, I think probably nine years ago, people could say, ah, I'm not too worried about it. It's not that big of a deal. Like when, you know, what you're, what you're coming up with, I, I think is some value, but whatever. And now it's like, there's so many platforms, so many of this and so many of that. Right. It's like, if you don't get control of it, right? If you don't say, hey, listen, this is what you can do, because it's going to happen no matter what, more than likely, right? I yeah. mean, it's like people are already out there talking, but if you can give them some guidelines on how to talk about things. I think that's the part. It becomes scary for people though, because it's like, yeah, but then they're going to have a voice. Well, they already have a voice, right? Yeah. It's like, that's not going away, but it's once in the education side. So who would you, so when we talk about like, like what are the keys to having a successful, I mean, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, but is there anything that we're missing that we haven't talked about yet in regards to like having a successful employee advocacy program? Is there like some pillars that you look at and you talk about these are the five things that we look at, or is there anything that we've missed? Well, I think one of the things you have to do is level set your expectations, right? And this is an interesting one. So when you send an email out to everyone in the company, how many people actually open that email? Uh, at my company, I think we're, I think uh, one, I think my assistant is the one that opens <laughs> it because he knows that I'm watching him. But yeah, probably, it's probably pretty, I mean, I would, well, let me take that back. It depends on if we have meat, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's a very great question. I'll have to look into that when I get off this. I mean, I don't know. I, that's a good question. So in general, you know, whether you have a hundred people in your company or tens of thousands of people in your company, if you send out an email, you're going to have some small percentage of them actually open the email. Another small percentage of that actually might take some action. Just like your regular email, right? You expect yeah. email to have kind of a low open rate and then some sort yeah. of thing. So don't set your expectations that everyone in the company is going to do everything that you're asking from them from an employee advocacy solution. So if your expectation is day one, you're going to have all thousand people in your company, <laughs> not only on the platform, but also doing everything you expect them to do. You're setting yourself up for some disappointment, yeah. right? Which isn't to say you shouldn't invite all thousand people, but you also need to give yourself and set the expectation correctly to other people who are involved in this 
that you're going to build this over a period of time. It's not going to happen just overnight, right? And that's with anything. I mean, that's not just exactly. with employee advocacy. I mean, that's with anything. Like, you're not going to, I'm not going to go put together a PPC campaign and then we're going to go count the millions of dollars that come in or SEO or anything. Anything that involves a strategy, guess what? It's going to take time, right? Because right. you're going to tweak stuff and things are going to happen. It's not an overnight type thing. So, that's right. and just because you get 500 people to retweet something doesn't mean that you guys are going to be on, you know, on the S&P 500, right? I mean, it's like, the idea of this is like, it's, it takes time, right? And then people are going to be, some people are going to be comfortable with this, some people aren't, and then people become more comfortable and then they'll get it to a point where people are going to start educating other people of like, oh, I've sent some stuff out and this is how I do it and then this is where you can find it and okay, now I feel more comfortable with that and you can give accolades or bonus or whatever it is, like, you know, getting people involved, whether it's gamification or doing something like that to where people are become more comfortable. A lot of people aren't going to do it just because they just don't feel comfortable, right? They're right. Just, I don't, you know, even with the education and you just got to find the people that are out there saying some stuff and now you can just help tailor that message for them so they feel comfortable in their voice. And so they're still putting that content out. So I, I, I get it. I mean, it just takes time, like anything. And as a marketer, you're going to have different strategies. You're going to be tying your employee advocacy strategy to the overall digital marketing and the overall company strategy, right? And so you're going to be able to break things down. So let me give you an example. You might have three or four people in your company that are subject matter experts in a particular industry, right? You're probably not the entire company, right? As much yeah. as we'd like to think so, it's probably not the entire company that really just knows the stuff inside and out. So yeah. What you may want to do is focus on those three or four people and provide them some opportunities to jump into a conversation. Maybe it's a blog post you want them to comment on. Maybe it's a LinkedIn post. Maybe it's so you've been listening from the marketing perspective and say, there's some influencers that are outside the company that are having this discussion. Let's get our subject matter experts into that conversation. So you yeah, for sure. get those people, point them in that direction. And then what you do, you get the masses to amplify the conversation. Right. Makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, it's like get the people in there that, that you don't, you know, that know how to answer and do the things and then have everybody else talk about it or, you know, retweet it or put it out there, or like it or whatever it may be. That's right. That's right. Interesting. Well, I love that because not everybody's going to want to respond and not everybody should respond. Right. I mean, so I think it's a situation of like, this is kind of the strategy. This is how we're going to go about it. And let's see what happens. And each platform is going to be different. And, you know, sometimes you have stuff that will take off virally because of something. And there's a lot of things. And how do you, when you think about this, so let's say, how do you look at the R of this. So in other words, if I'm a company and saying, hey, our strategy is that, you know, Shane's going to respond to anything that's on LinkedIn that, you know, there's a, there's a conversation that's happening over here. Shane responds, people like it, people do this and whatever they do. How do we look at like the ROI of that, right? So I go, okay, like the social media is always for a long time has been like, well, what's the ROI of social media? Like, how do I quantify this, right? Be able to say, hey, this is bringing in this kind of maybe sales, maybe attributes back to sales or whatever this is. But how do you, I mean, how do you look at that in regards from an employee advocacy standpoint? Well, I think it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, right? You know, some companies out there, they want to have a, a tremendous impact to their share of voice. Other companies want to have a lead generation component of this. Like how many leads can we drive? How many links can we get out there that's going to drive more traffic to us? What's the reach look like? What's the engagement look like? So it's it really depends on what you're trying to do. And typically what if you're doing this well, you're aligning it to the overall KPIs of your digital marketing efforts right? So in one bucket, you might have a paid world, right? You have certain KPIs around the paid activities. 
You should have certain KPIs around your employee advocacy, but they should all be in alignment with trying to drive the overall goals of the digital marketing effort in the goals ultimately of the company. And that makes sense. It makes total sense. It's really, you're kind of building it backwards. Like, what are your goals? What are you looking to do? And then how are we going to accomplish that? That's right. Right? Yeah. That's right. I mean, that makes, and that's, once again, with any strategy, I think that's what's important is like, you know, employee advocacy is no different than, I mean, it is different than SEO, but in the sense that it's like, hey, you're building a strategy and you're going to tweak it as you go. And you have to kind of build it backwards. Like, what are our goals of this? Like, what are we looking to do? Are we looking to generate, you know, a million dollars in sales? Well, right. that's probably not going to happen in a month, two months, three months, five months, right? Now, maybe over time, you know, and, and then how do you measure that, right? And how do we look at that. So I love that. I love it. Once again, it's like anything, you set goals and then you build it backwards and say, okay, like, how do we get to this point? Assuming we want to be here in one year and get $10,000 more in revenue or whatever that number is. And then looking at that campaign and tweaking it as you go until you get it to a point where it becomes natural for people to share stuff or put stuff out there or, you know, be able to have the, the company be able to understand how to respond or how to, you know, how to whatever they need to do, right. And be able to push that message out there. And I know I mentioned this before, but I think that's one of the things that we do extremely well is work with our customers. Our customer success team becomes the the strategist with the customers because what they're doing is they're showing them, okay, well, here's how you're doing compared to other companies that are doing similar things. You know, where are you on that? And what could you be doing more of? And have you tried this, this, and this given what you want to accomplish? So we can take a look at what you're doing and where you're trying to go and give you a path to get there rather than you just trying to figure it out on your own. Because to a lot of people, there's a lot of innovation that comes through and not just from a technology point of view, but use of the technology. Yeah. And I think that's, that is important. Yeah. The implementation, I think is, I think it's awesome that you guys have that kind of success team because it just is so important with this whole thing because people go, once again, I don't know where to start. I know a little bit about it. I read a few blog posts, but you know, and then it's nice if they already have goals and KPIs and stuff like that and where they want to see some type of ROI, your team can jump in and help them build up, build that out and say, this is where I think we should start. Cause I think that's the big, one of the biggest hurdles, right? It's right. like, okay, I've heard about this, but I don't really know where to start and what to do. And I think having that there, this is a good question for you. So what is like, one of the big, I was just thinking about this is we're talking about this in regards. So what is a common myth for employee advocacy that needs to let you like, we need to debunk, like other than I think like anything, they're like, well, we just, we get the software and we start a strategy. And then a few weeks, we're going to have everybody retweeting everything. And we should take off virally here and then maybe a month, right? Like what is it when it comes to like, is there anything that, that a lot of companies say, Oh, we think this is it usually because they want, you know, success faster, which of course they always want that, right? When it comes to sales or anything you do, is there anything that you think, God, we hear this a lot. And this is something that people need to rethink this. Well, I'm going to answer this a little more broadly. And it's just, if you're thinking in a binary manner, in terms of your employee advocacy program, you're probably thinking in a way that you're not going to be successful in. So let me give you an example. I think all my employees are going to do everything I want. Very binary. You know, they either do it or they don't. And the reality is you really have three different groups of employees within your company. So on one end of the spectrum, you've got the people who are already super active on social. No matter what you do, they're going to be doing their own thing regardless, right? They're already there. They might even have their own listening tool because they've just been inspired and this is what they do. On the other end of the spectrum, you have people, no matter what you do, no matter how easy you make it, They're just not going to do anything. It's just not their cup of tea. And that's cool too. But the majority of your employees are in that middle bucket, right? 
So if you maybe you have five to 10% on one end of the spectrum, five to 10% on the other end of the spectrum, you've got 80 to 90% in the middle. And these are the folks that if you just made it easy for them and took the fear out of it by giving them some guardrails, those are the people. And that's where you get your impact because you get so many of them to participate. Don't think of it as a binary scenario where it's either all or none, everyone's going to do it, everyone's not going to do it. That's not how this is. Your employees, they're all individuals. And what you're trying to do is you're just trying to make it super easy and frankly fun for them to participate. And I think that really is the key. I mean, it is, it's really the education, right? And getting them to a point where they feel comfortable with putting the content out there. And I think like everything, it's foundational. Like once they become more uncomfortable, more comfortable, then there's going to be a point that now they're just off to the races, right? But I think it's that initial and knowing that what I put out there, the company is going to be okay with and, and just having those parameters. I think we've said this a number of times. I think that's the most important thing and giving them the reins and saying, hey, here goes the parameters. Go do your thing. Go do what right. you feel comfortable doing, right? And, that's right? and once again, I think that's important. Who, and you know, I'm trying to think of, there's a few companies I have in mind, but I want to get your opinion on, are there any like companies that you would say, man, they're crushing it when it comes to employee advocacy? I mean, I know there's, there's something come to mind for me, but I want to get your opinion on that. Are there any companies you're looking at and going, man, they get it. Maybe that are using your platform or maybe even aren't using your platform. Anybody you can think of? Well, I think one of the awesome use cases that comes up that most people don't think about, and that is leveraging an employee advocacy program to really impact your press. So a company you might've heard of Carbon Black. And if you go to our website, gagglelamp.com, go to our case study section, and you're going to see this case study. It's really, really powerful. But what they do is they actually go and they've identified a couple of places for them to talk to the press. So they got on, I believe it was CNN. And they started talking about the impact of security. And so once they got that out there, they got their employees to actually amplify that message. So the the reporters on CNN that had talked to their employees that were their subject matter experts, now all of a sudden, anytime they have somebody from Carbon Black on, they get this tremendous uplift of all this social media activity that's coming from the employees. And what do they want to do? Well, the press, they just want more of that. So what do they do? They, they ask Carbon Black to come back on. So, I mean, it really is a powerful combination when you do things like that by leveraging your subject matter experts and then also using the majority of your employees now to uplift that conversation. Yeah. And I think that's an awesome use case because really, really what you think about is like, hey, we're going to have great press, great content, some stuff that's coming out. And now we literally are going to be pushing that out and amplifying it. Right. And right. it's like, how do you do that successfully? And in that situation, that doesn't take an employee to go and try to think this and do this and write some content, get it approved or whatever that may be, which maybe seems like work or a little scary, but you absolutely can share it with your audience or you absolutely can give it a like or you can a retweet or whatever that is. I think that's interesting because I think that's a easier for people to swallow than maybe jumping on writing content, right? There's levels of this. We kind of talk about this with social media, like out of a hundred people, there's like 1% that will comment, 9% will look and I don't know, whatever the, I can't remember the numbers, but it's, you know, some people feel comfortable with with something, some people don't, but I think that's a very easy where you can get a higher percentage of people over time to get used to it and say, Hey, can you guys go amplify this message? If it makes sense for your audience and if you're proud of what we're doing. And, And of course, you know, in a PR type situation, you think if somebody's working for the company and 
they, they love working there, it's nice to be able to show, hey, we did this for Christmas or we did this for that or we helped, you know, whatever this is, it's, there's always some good stuff right. that can happen from that. So I think employees should be excited about telling the world about what the company's doing, especially when it comes to PR or any kind of good stuff that happens online. Yeah, and I think one of the things you want to remember is, at least on our platform, every employee is given the option right? So they can either participate and do the activity that we're asking them to do or hit the button that says no thanks. So that's what you want to do is you, you want to make it approachable without forcing them. Yeah. You want to make it okay for them to do the things that they're comfortable with and okay for them to say, you know, that's, that's outside my comfort zone. And then you learn from that what things are within their comfort zone and what, what isn't. And I think that's important, right? Because the thing is, is in theory, we know our audiences, right? And we don't want to, you're putting out something, I'm say political, just so that we can say yes or no to it. And I look at it and go, well, that doesn't really fit with what I do, right? I wouldn't right. recommend sending out too much political stuff anyways. But if they do, then I think that's the value of it is like, hey, this does resonate with me. And I, yeah. this is something that I would want to share. You know what? That doesn't resonate with me. And it wouldn't resonate with my audience. And it's not really, I feel like telling anybody. And that should be okay. That should be absolutely okay. Like just as much as the person that wants to share it, and the person that doesn't want to share it, right? Because right. they have to be comfortable. If you're forcing people into being an advocate and they don't want to be, then that's a very uncomfortable situation and it's, you know, causes tension and stuff that you don't necessarily need to get into. Right. What you want to find is the people that are willing to sh- share that content and the kind of content they're sharing and then provide more of that for those individuals. Yeah. If you think about it, that goes back to what I said before, which is the evolution of your own program. You're going to be learning from folks what they're comfortable doing and what they're uncomfortable doing. And so you obviously want to do more of the stuff that they they want, because if you think about it, your customers are your customers, but in an employee advocacy program, it's your employees who are your customers in in this case. Yeah. And you have to remember that, that things like the voice of the employee versus the voice of the company, right? Put things in the context in which they want to be doing things, not necessarily in the context of what you want them to do. Which is important. I think that's an important factor because yeah, you as a brand or, you know, as a company, you want to say, Hey, it should be said this way, but is that sound like it's coming from an employee, right? Is it too much PR too much of this? It's like, you want them to still be able to take that message and say it in their own voice, which is important. I think it's the, it empowers them. Yeah. Look, I'm not going to say that there's never a situation where you want people to say the same thing, right? But if that is your only approach to this, that's going to be short lived. And so you want a mechanism to actually kind of get them to put things into their own voice. And again, in the beginning, you know, people may or may not participate because they're uncomfortable with it. But over time, when you give them the baby steps, when you give them the guardrails, you're going to see more and more people and you're going to see the train start to get some speed. Yeah, which is the value of it, right? I mean, it's right. like, once again, like I said, it's, it's like anything. I mean, it's not going to, once it starts going, you're like, this is the reason why we invested in it. Right. So what do you see as like the, the, you know, I mean, obviously with social media and platforms and everything constantly changing, where do you see this evolving in the next few years? Do you, you see anything, any trends, anything you guys have seen? Obviously, you've been yeah. doing this nine plus years. Right. Tell us what the future holds. Yeah, well, uh, let me give you a little bit of background because we've seen the evolution of this over nine years, right? So when we started, nobody was really doing anything. Right. So that, yeah. that's where it started with nothing. <laughs> and then it was all about, okay, let's get everybody to share some content. Okay, great. So that becomes like the ante to get in. You got to be able to share some content. That's cool. The next big thing 
was engagements. How do we get people to be part of more engagements, whether that be liking things or commenting on things, really stepping above just content and actually driving engagement. So where we see this going now in 2020 is really the employee as a content generator themselves. Mm. So now you're starting to get into the world of crowdsourcing content. So it's not just about marketing doing that all the time, but now it's also about the employees being able to contribute content to marketing and frankly, to the rest of the company. Which is awesome, right? I mean, if you have people inside the organization that can provide that kind of stuff, because you really, you know, I'm a content producer in regards to podcasts and, con- you know, writing and all this. I mean, I feel like I can't produce enough content, right? So if I had other people that are willing to contribute and add valuable content to the company, I mean, that saves marketing dollars too, right? Where I have to hire somebody to do this. I mean, there's some value there. If you find somebody that's really good at writing or that really understands the company's view and, and you can add some more to the blog or, you know, interview them or whatever that may be. Like I said, I, I don't think you can produce enough content. I think companies need to look at it that way. It's like, how do we you know, use our inner resources to be able to produce great content? I think that's awesome. And it's not just about content that's really targeted for the outside world, but it's also content for within the company. So let me give an example. A lot of times you don't necessarily have marketing folks out at maybe regional events or some trade shows, whatever, if you don't have a booth there, but you have your salespeople there. Well, wouldn't it be great if the salespeople could snap a picture of a competitor's booth so that marketing now can see that or the messaging or things like that. So this isn't really targeted for the outside world, but you might also have an opportunity where you have salesperson out there. Maybe they're having a lunch or dinner or just, you know, they met a, a customer at an event. Maybe they do a selfie with them. Maybe they actually get them on video and do a little mini case study. So there's, you know, if you think about all the opportunities there are for content, and you think about where that content can be used and leveraged, that opens up a whole new world. So I don't want people to think about content just for the outside world. I want them to think about content that first is sourced internally to other employees, and then some subset of that may be good for the outside world. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's it, I guess it's in the practice of producing the content and then maybe that goes past the internal parts of the company. But at least I think that's awesome. I think the example of, you know, a competitor or something at, a, at an exhibit or somewhere at a show that you can see, hey, this is what they're doing and empowers them to like, hey, be a part of this whole thing that they're not really a part of, right? You're not, I'm not a part of marketing, but I think this could help us because now, right. you know, you're kind of merging those, which marketing and sales are always looking for a way to, to merge and become better with each other, right? I think that's a good thing. Or it could be be one of your subject matter experts that they don't want to get into a conversation in the outside world, but they want to help educate the folks internally. Here's why our product is really good in this situation, right? I love it. So again, when you start thinking in terms of that, you start realizing how many opportunities there are for employees themselves to contribute thoughts and content, and it comes in many forms. 
And I think the other thing is interesting too, is that once you see another salesperson that's producing some kind of content, that also I think will help me feel more comfortable producing content, right? Because now it becomes this thing of like, hey, this is kind of cool. Oh, I never thought about that. I mean, even you just saying that, I was like, well, I never thought about that angle. And so now I would feel more comfortable with going to a show and sending this picture when I would never do that before. But John had done it at another trade show. And I thought, God, that was really awesome that we were able to see that as a team. Yeah. So it's cool. I like that. I like that, uh, how that kind of evolves and it, once again, it makes it empowers people. I think it really comes down to the empowerment and people feeling comfortable with being able to do that. Yeah. So, with, and I'm going to ask you, this is more of like a you as an individual, maybe not as the company as much, but, but potentially like, what are three apps or softwares that you use that like, I mean, and it can be, I mean, obviously we have your software for, for employee advocacy, but like, I'm just trying to think of like, cause you, you seem like a tech guy, obviously, right. You've been around for a little bit using some tech stuff, <laughs> right. Software. So are there any softwares or anything that you really enjoy? Like give us three. I mean, and there might be more than three. Is there anything that you can't live without? From a personal point of view, from a business point of view, cause I, I've got kind of I like certain ones. We're both, okay, let's do, let's do personal and we'll jump into business. Okay. So personally, there's a weather app that I use called Dark Skies. Love it. Especially Skies. living in New England, I've found it to be pretty accurate. And it's, it's so accurate down to the location that you're at. It actually tells you when it's about to rain. So I like it. Right? So I love that. I also, I have a dog at home and I've got this, it's basically like a Fitbit that you can put on the collar of your dog and it's called Whistle. I think it's actually an Amazon company and I think Amazon bought them. And so it's really cool. It tracks the amount of activity that the dog is doing and also has a GPS component. So it'll tell you where the dog is in case it gets away. I love that. Really, really cool if you're a dog person. Yeah, I am a dog. I've got two dogs at home. In fact, my wife just last night sent me pictures of these puppies from some, she's a nurse and somebody in the hospital was like, oh, I've got these puppies that I'm just giving away. And she's like, what do you think of these dogs? They're puppies. Like, of course, I mean, you know, so I, I might have a third dog by this, by the time yeah. this podcast goes live. My wife hears this. I'm just kidding. We're not getting the dog. But yeah, I, it's one of those deals, man. It's like, I'm an animal lover. That's kind of cool. They got a Fitbit for dogs. I, I like that. And the GPS thing obviously is kind of cool too. Yep. And then my third one is it's not specific to this app, but I have for my podcasting app, I use I have an iPhone. So I just use the the podcast app within the iPhone. So it's it's the one that Apple puts out there. But there's so many others that have a lot of great features on it. But I've found that my life is so much better now that I listen to podcasts rather than listening to the radio when I'm driving or doing things. And I'm actually getting better information. I think I'm getting better information because it's not always interrupted every six minutes with a with an ad. So to me, podcasting, like we're doing here, you and I have spent almost an hour together here relaying some information. People are listening to us. They know from where it's coming from. I mean, they can hear the integrity in the conversation and it's not always about, hey, okay, after six minutes, we got to flip over. And then, yeah. you know, when we yeah. come back, we got to remind you what we just did in the past six minutes. You know, it's yeah. it's mind numbing, right? I just want to get to the content. And that's the great thing about using a podcast app. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge, like I said, I think podcasts are I've been around for a while, but I really think it's, um, we're, we're going hot and heavy here in 2020 going to go, and I know you've been doing it for a long time as well. So I've seen some, some huge value in it. So we're excited about doing the podcasting thing. So what about from a business perspective? Is there anything, I mean, the podcast, I guess is on the business side of things. Is yeah. there any other fun business apps that you can't live without or uh, software? <laughs> 
Well, in addition to our own, because obviously that that is the thing that of course all of our right. focus. On the business side, we use um, we use a couple of different apps. The core communication within the team, Zoom, has been transformational. Right? We used to be a go to meeting company where we used go to meeting, but at the end of the day, Zoom became the the killer app for us, quality-wise. And I think we're recording it right now on Zoom. Yeah, That's been a game changer for us because we also do our sales conversations on Zoom too. And whether or not the customer turns on their camera doesn't matter. We always do. We want them to see us. We want them to create that relationship. You can certainly do it through audio, but there's also something when you actually see somebody in a live conversation, it's powerful. Well, and it's the same thing with this. This is a podcast, but I always do video because I think it's important to have that connection, right? And 98% of the people that I do with, they're like, I thought this was a podcast. It is, but I love the video side of it because then I can see your, you know, how you're talking and how we're doing things. There's just that deeper connection, I think. And video definitely helps that. We, mm-hmm. we do that with our sales stuff as well. Like if I send over a proposal, I do a video every time to explain the proposal, right? And say, hey, I want right. to jump on a call and talk this over, but I wanted to go over some of the things that I, you know, kind of some of the high level things that we found about your website, your company or whatever this is. And they love that because then it, kind of has a little bit of a connection and then they want, you know, cause there's usually some questions, right? We want to yeah. be able to answer some of those questions, take that out of the way and be able to move on to the next step of, you know, negotiate or, you know, talking about the proposal actually, you know, person to person. Right. Yeah. So that's been a game changer. We also use this thing. They're actually a local Boston company as well. And it's a hardware and a software component. And it's, it's the, um, it's the meeting owl. I don't know if you've heard of that. Mm-mm, no, I haven't. But it's this little like kind of a tall speaker with a camera built in up at top. And it actually ties in nicely with Zoom. It's in the middle of our conference room on the table. And so what it does, it actually not only acts as the speaker and microphone for everybody, but yes, it shows, it actually moves to show person speaking at the time. I love that. Love so, that. Right when you said owl and then when you said it sits in the middle, I thought, <laughs> I know what it does. Yeah. I know what it does. The head moves all around. That's awesome. So th- that's been really cool for us to use for meetings because the majority of our staff is remote, right? So we've got a small footprint here in Boston, but most of the people are working remotely from home and and frankly, we've got people all around the world. And so it's really nice for the folks who are in one room to actually be able to communicate in such a way where they don't look so distant. And that's where that camera aspect comes into play when you're in a meeting like that. I love that. I'm going to have to look into that. I, I love that because that, that is a, I have a full remote team too, right? So yep. my team's all over the world, the same as yours. And so if we ever do get together and have the conversation, you know, it's kind of difficult unless we're doing something like this, but if they're in the room, it's, you know, it's like, Oh, hold on. John's talking. Oh, hold on. Jennifer's talking. Oh, Mike's, you know, it's like kind of interesting. So I'll have to look into it. That's uh, and they're a Boston company too. It's so even better. Yep. So I'll, I'll definitely check into that. So we're at the end of this thing, but this is the depressing part where we're going to have to break <laughs> up and go on and continue our day. I know this is going to be hard for both of us, uh, but this is just, this is how it goes, man. I mean, this is the difficult parts of it. But if I was to give you a 10 million, a winning $10 million lottery ticket, Uh-oh, here we go. what would you, I know we're setting you up. You're like, <laughs> Oh, do I say I want material things or do I want to seem like I care? No. What would you do? What would you do with the money? $10 million. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So, What's, it, what's interesting about this company is we never raised any venture capital money. So bootstrap. we bootstrap and we've been going for nine years, profitable growing. It's been such an amazing experience with that. 
So if you gave me $10 million, I'd probably invest part of that into this company because it's been so powerful, right? Yeah. And at least I know that there's a return coming <laughs> for the investment right? because I know how we've grown and what we do. And frankly, the affinity that our customers have for us, which is really powerful. That's I, awesome. I would also use part of that money to really have impact in other people's lives. Right. There's a number of people in organizations that are in the top of my head that I could think about really having an impact. And it doesn't necessarily come in the form of just writing somebody a check, but I think that there's ways to teach people how to fish, to use the, yeah. the expression, and using some of the money to do that, to really have impact with different organizations and different folks as well. So, I love it. So those are the things that come top of mind, and I, and I might take a little little bit of a longer vacation than normal. Yeah, as you see, you, you deserve it, Glenn. You deserve it, buddy. I mean, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you got to give back to yourself too a little bit. Sure. So awesome, Glenn. This has been an awesome podcast interview as I knew it was going to be. So if anybody wanted to get in contact with you or find out more about your company, can you give us some details? Yeah. In fact, let me give you a link that they can go to if they want to learn more about employee advocacy or how to get started. Um, it's learn.gagalamp.com forward slash get started learn.gagalamp.com forward slash get started. If you want to reach out to me, I'm in LinkedIn. So you can certainly reach out to me, Glenn Gaudet. My only request is if you do make a connection with me, tell me in that connection that you were listening to me on this podcast. So I know you're not just somebody who wants to try to sell me something because I do get quite a few of those. And then on Twitter, I'm Glenn G with two N's. So Glenn G with two N's. If I had a dollar for every time I got pitched on LinkedIn, I could retire. I, well, I, I actually did the numbers. It's incredible. Like, you know, when I, unless I know the person, like if uh, Shane, if, if obviously I know you, I might send you a LinkedIn connection without necessarily putting a whole conversation yeah. in there, right? But so many people will send me a LinkedIn conversation and don't bother telling me, how do I even know this? How do they know me? And, and like all of these things. And, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, well, maybe I'll do it. And the next thing you know, you get something right back. Hey, I'd love to get in your calendar. Every really? time. It's so funny. Anytime <laughs> I look and it says, I'm going to help you grow your agency. Like if that's their, what they do, I think every time I click it, I'm like, okay, I shouldn't do this. I click it and it's just instant. And I know it. It's like touching the hot stove or something. Like, I don't know why I keep doing this over and over, but. Anyway, so that's perfect. So if you guys need to get in contact with Glenn, obviously that's Glenn with two N's. Glenn, you were an awesome host as I knew you would be. And you guys, if you're listening to this podcast and like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to it as well. And obviously if you guys like what you hear, please write a review. And if you don't like what you hear, uh, don't write a review because <laughs> we want only good reviews, folks. That's what it all comes down to. So Glenn, thank you so much. And once this thing gets, uh, obviously when this thing goes live, we'll go ahead and send you over all the fun stuff. We'll let you know ahead of time. And thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Shane, just remind everybody that you are my podcast and they can listen to that. Yeah, absolutely. Your digital marketing. Yeah, was it about influencer marketing? I think yep. was the thing. So yeah, take a look at that. Just put in Gagalamp plus Shane Barker and I'm sure that the podcast will show up yep, number one. Sure so will. awesome, man. Thank you so much, bud. Thank you. Have a great weekend.